Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. He decided to do it, huh? Yep. After the rumors, where I like to think we broke it, even though we didn't. (laughs) We broke the potential sale of Michael Jordan deciding to sell the majority stake in the Charlotte Hornets. When we asked Brian Windhorst, what was it, a couple months ago, when we said, hey, We've seen this mentioned, but we're not getting a lot of clarity on this. What say you on the potential of Michael Jordan selling majority stake? Brian Windhorst said, I don't want to be aggregated, so no comment. Fair enough. Well, here (laughs) we are. June 16th, 2023. 23, interesting number there. Michael Jordan deciding to sell majority stake to Gabe Plotkin, minority owner within the Hornets organization, and Rick Schnall, former minority owner within the Hawks organization. Mm-hmm. Wes, I say we just go ahead and pull up to the scene. What do you say? Let's do it. Bus driver. Well, get off the no, bus. Let's up. I got something to say. Damn! All right, if you don't know what we're about to tell you, Michael Jordan has agreed to sell his majority stake in the Charlotte Hornets to a group led by Gabe Plotkin and Rick Schnall for an approximate $3 billion, with a B, $3 billion valuation, according to league sources, as they tell Adrian Wojnarowski, a part of ESPN. The transaction ends Jordan's 13-year run as majority owner. They're working on final details, Michael Jordan will serve and he'll and will continue to oversee basketball operations through Thursday's NBA draft and the start of free agency on July 1st. And just so everyone knows, Jordan paid 275 million with an M, 275 million for majority stake in the then Charlotte Bobcats in 2010. So 275 to 3 billion. 2010 to 2023 there's a lot to comb through as you just see this report come in from Woj on the surface what are the very surface level feelings you think about when you see Michael Jordan finally sold majority stake well I mean it's bittersweet because now the NBA doesn't have uh, a minority majority owner anymore Uh, so that is not good in my opinion and then like i said michael jordan there was so much excitement when he came in his airness coming to own the team in the state that he's from and play college basketball in i thought that this was going to turn out to be something really really good which there were some positive parts don't get me wrong at all just wanted to see more of a winner on the court so those are my main takeaways just the excitement and the buzz for uh not trying to be punny but just the uh, the buzz that came when he joined the team, took over ownership, and then the team just not having quite the success that you wanted to see 
with Michael Jordan at the helm. Yeah, so just to give you an overview, we'll be talking about this all day long. Uh, Schnall, a minority owner with the Atlanta Hawks, and Plotkin, minority owner with the Hornets, as we mentioned, they'll become the franchise's governors once the NBA does complete its vetting and approval process. Jordan will continue to oversee the operations through the draft. I know a lot of people were wondering about that because yesterday we had the report from Jake Fisher that Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson, the Hornets were attempting to bring both of those high-profile prospects in for a meeting with the GOAT himself, and then this news drops just a day later. So still, everything, it does have an explanation. This will take place even after free agency because there's also the report here that Michael Jordan will be the guy that oversees basketball operations, not only just through the draft, but also through free agency as well. Any interesting thoughts on the timing? I didn't know if you had any finishing thoughts with what you were discussing previously. Yeah, I mean, the timing... It's interesting, and they always talk about how new ownership groups come in and make a lot of changes to front offices and things of that nature. So that's going to be the next step and going to be interesting as to how this all goes down. We talked about yesterday, is Coach Clifford going to remain the coach there? We'll see how that plays out. So there are still a lot of questions to be answered, especially being that a lot of the coaching cycle has already been completed. And so there's there's just a lot of questions to be answered in the coming weeks. Um, He will have a minority stake with this team. As we mentioned, Bradley Blanks continues to write in that he'll have 49% of the team. I don't see any figure suggesting that. So I don't know the amount of, I don't know the percentage of the stake that he'll have in this team right now. If there is any kind of report, we'll try to update you on that as much as possible. Tell us your feelings about this. We're going to dive a little deeper into the next segment as well on who these guys are in Gabe Plotkin and Rick Schnall. We'll also dive a little bit more into the tenure of Michael. So this guy takes over in 2010. This guy, the GOAT, one of the best to ever do it, the best to ever do it with one Michael Jordan. So we're all excited as hell once he takes over as the majority owner with the Charlotte Bobcats. Some of the good things that he did. He brought in, once again, the Charlotte Hornets nickname that was beloved by the citizens of the QC after they moved to New Orleans and then they became the Pelicans. We got that name back. I think Michael Jordan, I think the NBA has done a really nice job of salvaging that part of history because they could have very easily moved and just gave that history to New Orleans. But when you look at basketball reference, when you look at the archives, we have that back. We still get to call Baron Davis our own. We still get to call Jamal Mashburn, Alonzo Mourning. We get to call those guys our own, even technically if that franchise went to New Orleans. I think that was great to see, and I'm glad MJ was at the head of a lot of that along with the rest of the organization and the association. Some of the other good things. I don't think it can be overstated just how philanthropically he evol- he was involved with not only just the local community, but statewide and nationally as well. And this is one of my favorite things to talk about with Michael. And I did a whole thing about it a couple of years ago when he donated millions of dollars to Novant Health Clinics. In fact, tens of millions of dollars. He did this when uh, it was February is when he donated Over $7 million to Novant Health to open two clinics in Charlotte. And again, the donation was made to benefit communities with minimal or no health care. Novant Health, in fact, said it had received two years ago at that time a total of $17 million from Michael Jordan dedicated to developing clinics. Not only do we have the Novant Health side of things with Michael Jordan, but we also know post-George Floyd, when America was hurting and specifically black America was hurting, 
He donated over $100 million to organizations that benefit the black community in a plethora of different categories. It was the most listed by Forbes. Michael Jordan, even the most cynical of pocket watchers, cannot look at Michael <laughs> Jordan and say, oh, what? He's already rich anyway. $100 million over the course of a few years? Yeah, man, that's significant, and there's a reason it was the most donated to those two black communities that were hurting at a time when George Floyd passed away and was murdered, okay? With Michael being involved in all of this, I think that needs to be celebrated. The other thing is, it's genuine care. I always go back to an interview that I had with Fred Whitfield in 2017, team president and longtime friend of Michael Jordan. When Michael opened a Novant Health Clinic in 2017, he cried at the podium in front of everyone. Michael is not someone that you've seen cry a lot up to that point. We're talking six years ago now. Fred Whitfield, his longtime friend, said he'd only seen him cry three times. His first championship, the passing of his father, and his Hall of Fame speech. And now here he is philanthropically involved, and he's crying at the podium because it means a lot to him. We've since seen him cry a couple more times. Last Dance documentary when talking about competitiveness. We also saw him cry during Kobe Bryant's memorial service. We've seen it a few times. But to say that Michael changed from his playing days where he was outright criticized sure. for not being for not donating enough to charity. I think we've seen the growth of that kind of man and we got to see that at the head of not only the organization but the city of Charlotte. And so when we all hold the basketball operations side against him, there's a lot of problems with it. No doubt about it. Just criticism for Michael Jordan. I don't want the work in the community to be over to to be understated i should say i don't think it can be overstated and we should celebrate yes i, I agree with you 100 percent. and as you said it, it was great to see a guy that many people felt was just a, a a medusa of sorts just made of stone or she would look at you and make you in the stone but anyway michael mm-hmm. jones the guy that we felt was just a stone-faced competitor that nothing got to him that he felt nothing especially we know some of the more controversial elements when people would talk about especially in the black community and and his shoes and how kids were losing lives and different things like that over that and that people felt he did not care. And you're right, the growth did come over time and it came in him seeing what what black people were going through, especially at that time, and it would have touched anybody, but to see it touch him of all people and what he did about it was really excellent, especially from a guy that we didn't expect to see that from. So he definitely did leave his mark on the community. I know my mom goes to the Michael Jordan Clinic uh, to take care of her health needs as well. So it's an excellent thing that he brought, and he did do a lot in those respects, and it is to be celebrated. We're going to talk more about it. We'll also take your thoughts and comments on the text line, 704-570-9610. Michael Jordan sells majority stake. We'll continue on Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only 
at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Big news of the day. Michael Jordan sells majority stake within the Charlotte Hornets. Feel free to share your thoughts and comments. As always, text line number is 704-570-9610. Going to read a few here. 704 number wrote in. No disrespect, Walker, but what did he do for us on the court? None of those benefited Hornets fans. Burberry Gary said, I appreciate everything Jordan has done, but I'm not sad to see him leave as an owner. 704 also said he might have made some fine humanitarian efforts, but as a basketball owner, possibly the worst ever. And that's what a lot of people are texting in. Because as far as the basketball personnel decisions, I think some of the criticism for him is justified. I think some of it is sensationalized, as I tweeted out on my Twitter at Walker Mail. You can follow me there. Frank Kaminsky, well reported that he was enthralled with Frank Kaminsky. Reports seem true. Bad mistake. <laughs> Not taking anybody else and also, quote unquote, turning down the godfather of offer of picks that was reportedly given to them by the Boston Celtics. Although I've questioned that report a few times because why wouldn't there be reports about other teams turning that down? But whatever. Frank Kaminsky seemed to be a Michael Jordan pick for sure. We have seen Michael Jordan not spend a lot of money. And we think there's been a lot of fans that are texting in, tweeting at us as well, that have a big problem with Michael Jordan being cheap as the owner of the Charlotte Hornets, never going into the luxury tax. I still believe, I I think it's still true, that the Hornets are the only NBA team to have not taken a dive into the luxury tax at any point during Jordan's tenure. So when you have a couple of those problems with Michael Jordan, and we can get to some other ones, what say you on the basketball operations side, Wes? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You know, we've talked about it before, and I brought up when I told you I watched Gilbert Arena's videos, and he talked about the underhanded things that owners would do to make up for not being able to pay a guy as much as another team, and those were some of the things I felt. And, and, and another thing, too, is just I just felt like his influence alone would mean a little bit more uh, than, than what it's meant as far as him being able to get at least one marquee guy. And so uh, I, I just felt with the operations, I never got the sense of urgency that these guys like as badly. And that's the thing. You, you talk about the last dance. You talk about the competitiveness. You hear the wild stories of Michael Jordan. And I never felt like that was the front office, MJ, the guy that just would win at all costs. I mean, hell, don't don't punch one of the you know people working in the front office. But we heard about the stuff with Steve Kerr and then different things over the years. I'm like, man, I wanted to see that type of competitor in the front office where he was willing to jump in. And even if he knew he may lose to the the Lakers or the Knicks or somebody like that, but just going all out to try to get the best players and put the best team on the court possible. And I guess that's the best parallel that I could make, the competitiveness and the just, just the win-at-all-cost guy that we've heard about for so many years and heard so many stories about. I wish that had been brought to his ownership style. This is why it's nuanced to me, though, because so many people had a problem with him not spending enough money to get into the luxury tax. Okay, that team would have also been made fun of had they delved into the luxury tax for a team that was only play-in worthy. They give Gordon Hayward a big old contract. 
So if he doesn't spend money, but he also pays Gordon Hayward more money than any other team was willing to give him, we know that because Gordon wanted to go to Indiana, but they weren't going to give him $30 million a year. So he comes to Charlotte because they were. Mitch Kupchak, he told you that this was the type of money they would have to spend if they were going to get fringe all-stars, such as Gordon Hayward was certainly at the time. They gave Terry Rozier a decent amount of money. They're giving him over $20 million a year. But no, they're not going into the luxury tax. I think another thing about this, too, is we go back to last year when all signs pointed towards them giving Miles Bridges the bag. Mitch Kupchak told you they were going to. It wasn't even, hey, we got to sneak around here and there to try to find out some info. Mitch Kupchak was giving it up. So, yeah, we're going to pay Miles. <laughs> we're going to give him $30 million a year. Mm-hmm. And that would have been a big old contract for someone that had not made an all-star team. And they were going to give him the contract. I think there have been a lot of situations where the team wasn't talented enough for me to be able to justify them actually going into the luxury tax to be a squad that's not going to make the playoffs. I think that's part of the thing that I've always had a hard time wrapping my head around. Because if you're going to criticize Michael for that, the other NBA owners aren't any different. They don't want to go into the luxury tax if it doesn't mean they're going to be even a championship contender. We saw Milwaukee do this when they let go of Malcolm Brogdon. Remember when they had Eric Bledsoe, Malcolm Brogdon, Giannis, they were trying to figure it out. They let Malcolm go. Malcolm was a good player after that. And then they decided to try to make up for it by getting Drew Holiday, and it worked. Milwaukee finally did it. But when they were a championship contender, nobody had a huge problem. Well, I shouldn't say nobody. There were plenty of people that had a problem with Milwaukee. But they're not any different in that sense from Michael at that point. Sure, they made a lot better personnel decisions. I'm not trying to get that twisted. But when we talk about Michael being cheap here, to me, that's why it's always been a little more nuanced than just saying, oh, he's cheap, don't want to go into the luxury tax, he's the worst owner ever. There's been a lot of situations and a lot of reasoning to me as to why you don't want to spend that money. If you have a problem with him meddling in draft processes, yeah, there's some documentation on that, and that's a real problem because you want your GM to do the GM thing, you want your owner to do the owner thing. That's justified. But some of the money stuff, that's where I go with the sensationalized. Well, the thing is, too, and to keep your own guys, that's fine. And I get it. And the rules kind of help the players team to be able to keep them. But I just feel like that, you know, we've we've gone around the rosy on this uh, a few times with some of the big ticket free agents, man. Just kind of flex that I'm MJ type of deal. I can I can work this out and that out. Maybe do a little bit of something something on the side, you know, to maybe get a, a big time free agent up in here. I, I know it can be done. The thing is, Michael Jordan isn't messing with the other owners type of money, Let's though. Get this uh, Jordan brand deal going. Oh, but but what was the stat you just read during the break? That Michael, based off this sale... Made more than he's made in 40 years with Nike. Say that louder. He's made more off of this deal selling the basketball team than he's made in 40 years with Nike. Michael Jordan is not one of the richest owners in the NBA. So when we talk about these side deals, you're hoping that MJ's cachet in his name carries more weight than the green in everybody else's pocket, which it doesn't. True. But which it, it doesn't. I was just saying, too, I mean... You know, we, we've spoken about it, but, I mean, you can't throw somebody a shoe. Maybe they're not uh, worthy of it just yet, but maybe But some of the bigger free agents that don't have a signature shoe, throw them that Jordan brand deal, get them a signature shoe, come on to the Queen City. But money is involved with this, right? That's what I'm saying, yeah. But, but yeah, Zion Williamson is with Jordan brand. 
He is. But it's well documented. He wants to go with the Knicks. That's what I'm saying. But he couldn't drive. We He didn't have a chance to draft them. But even if he became an unrestricted free agent, if and I'm just saying what I would do if I'm Jordan. I'm getting in their ear. No, but. And I'm going to give them a, a, a really nice shoe deal, signature shoe. I, come know, on I, to the city. I don't think you're hearing me, though, because yeah, I feel like ahead. I'm addressing what you're saying. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, I'm addressing what you're saying. You're saying but, that Zion but, but, still but, would not want to come here. But we actually have proof. We We know he wants to go with the Knicks. It is a bad kept secret. The dude wanted to go to the Knicks during the draft. And he's a Jordan guy yeah. right now. When we talk about the Donovan Mitchell stuff, which is why we've talked about this in the past, Donovan Mitchell wants money. He wants playing time. He wants to compete. And the Hornets also didn't have enough assets to go get him at that time. And so what you're saying is Michael could do something outside of the rules of the NBA to try to sweeten the pot and have him come over here. But in reality, there are rules against it that are not going to be hid. Now, maybe Gilbert Arenas did say other owners were doing it. If they were, those owners are richer than Michael is. And therefore, what is Michael going to do to compete besides just bring his name out there? And in reality, that's an us problem. If we thought Michael, it's hard for us to fathom because he's the biggest bleeping thing that we've ever seen in sports the craziest figure to market around ever and when the younger generation comes in and they grow up on kobe like you know when scoot henderson was born 2004 (laughs) michael had already come back and retired with the wizards yeah when scoot henderson was born so they grew up on kobe lebron was in the league when scoot was born So when we're talking about even the generation before that, going back five, six years, it just didn't carry enough for guys to turn down dough in order to sign with Michael because he's the great one. That's on us. That's on us for creating that, and it just didn't work out. Michael got in the NBA at 2010. So that generation, they were already signing with other people, and even they were starting to, like even LeBron, he might have grown up on Michael, but... LeBron's in the league at seven years already. Like, it doesn't affect money. And also, maybe Michael just didn't carry the same kind of power that some of the other younger figures did. All right, so so Zion got $75 million from Jordan Brand. And to that point, that was one of the richest for a rookie to come in for sure. I think it's second to LeBron. So you don't think, like, with some of the bigger free agents, like, let's just say, for giggles, Donovan Mitchell's a free agent, unrestricted. So Mike can't go to him and be like, look, man. I give you this max deal. I know I can't pay you what everybody else has got, but I can throw you 80 mil on the Jordan brand deal, give you a signature shoe, 80 million. You're not going to give this shoe thing up. I'm just saying, but but those are the type of godfather offers that he can present. And I'm just saying that Mike, with the cachet and some of the resources that he has, plus you know he's in deep with a ton of companies. He can he he can find a way to uh, give some Godfather offers. That's all I'm saying. Just one, just one. I know I, that he could have done it. Okay. I mean, yeah. I, you don't I, think so? Well, I just gave you all the reasons why I don't think so. But you keep like. No, but I I'm just, saying, but I, I don't around. know that he ever offered. And I'm not saying he hasn't. But I'm just saying if he offers something like that, I feel like at least you're going to get somebody. Somebody's going to bite on that mm-hmm. because everybody's. I don't think a lot of players that are established have a deal as rich as Zion's is talking about sneaker deals. So I'm just saying when you talk about that or all the companies that he's involved with or been involved with, that he could find a way to, to sweeten that pot in other ways and make guys say, OK, yeah, I'm going to come over here. No, I mean, yeah, I, I I don't know. I've I've talked about the rules being against it. It would be pretty hilarious to see Michael try to hide something. 
by not getting Donovan Mitchell <laughs> in any sweepstakes, and then he gets a deal, and now Donovan forces his way only to Charlotte or in free agency. Yeah, and I was just giving a scenario of unrestricted free agents. Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- that never happened, though. And so maybe that is a surprise. I do remember Tony Parker saying Michael Jordan had something to do with him coming over mm-hmm. for one year at his twilight. And, and Tony was like, what? In his career. Yeah, he's he's a poster child along with Patrick Ewing with Orlando and Akeem with Toronto. I mean, Toronto. that's what I'd be doing, man. I would play to win. I I know. I'm giving up the bags. I'm giving up sneakers, whatever you need. Let's go. But what happens when somebody gives a bigger bag? I'm going to give a bigger one. Okay. And, you know, that's just, it's, it's <laughs> hard to argue. Worth it. it's, it's a hard, it's a hard to argue with that. It is. I'm just going to give more. Well, fair enough. What if you don't have more? I don't matter. I have more endorsements more. for you. I get fair. you uh McDonald's. I know my, my man, you know, start talking like you in the street. My man's over at McDonald's. I got you. Yeah. That, I get you a commercial tomorrow. Yeah. I, 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 it's, it's hard to argue with that type of, uh, with that kind of I'd debate. I'd be a great owner, man. Uh, you would. And you'd have a $800 billion payroll I that would. doesn't exist and Antonio Brown being kicked out of the league, but you would be a great owner for three seconds. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about the people that Michael Jordan is going to be selling to. So $3 billion valuation. I mentioned Gabe Plotkin and Rick Schnall. So we can go back to Gabe Plotkin who purchased a minority stake a few years back and we all raised our eyebrow a little bit like, okay, is this day coming? Is Michael Jordan about to relinquish all the power that comes with owning this team. And I remember the late, the great Rick Bennell at the time, all over the story, was saying there's no indication that this was going to turn into a majority stake thing as of now. But it always seemed like Michael was going to try to get more money because, again, he's not one of the richer dudes out there. It takes, it's crazy. Like, I wonder if people understand how much money it takes to own a franchise. Yeah. What, what, what is Michael's net worth? I know it's more now, but Michael Jordan's net worth considering what it like we can even compare it to David Tepper who is the second two richest billion. owner so now it's 2 billion and i wonder if that's even been because it's 2023 updated so when you talk about some of the other richer owners like hey what why doesn't he just mess with Steve Ballmer Steve Ballmer like go look up Steve Ballmer's net worth and then after you're done vomiting you know try to gather yourself <laughs> again <laughs> like it's you know Stan Kroenke that guy's got a million they different are. teams right it just so my it makes sense this was always a parlay, two seventy five to a three billion dollar valuation. Okay. Oh wow, one hundred two point nine billion. Who is that? Ooh. Who is that? Bomber. You yeah. ever wonder how you even get to that? I mean, I know this is a an aside, but you ever see that and just hear those numbers and like, how do you even get there? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of uh, you. you it's a lot of savvy business moves. Um. These You're getting money jobs. from family. Yeah, these guys work jobs that you and I could go get, and then they just end up just blowing it up to numbers like this. Um, I, I also don't want to get too lost in the sauce with the financial side of stuff with mm-hmm. Michael because a lot of people are trying to bring it back to a legitimate conversation. We're watching up in here today. Well, and just even with the the player valuation, with him being involved in free agency within the draft, and there those have been the problems. What I will say is, I think that's that was a lot more prevalent in the Rich Cho era. I think it's really fair to discuss that side of thing until Mitch Kupchak came around. I do think Mitch Kupchak has been calling the shots as far as the operation side of things goes for a lot of the draft picks. I think Michael was involved in getting Terry Rozier here. Everybody hated on it, but now everybody loves Terry Rozier. I mean, it's kind of polarizing, I guess. 
But remember when everybody was like, oh, okay, you traded Kimba Walker for Terry Rozier. Please, come on. You didn't get anything in return. Well, you got a player that was worth $20 million a year to somebody. Yeah. You actually got something in return to now. Are we calling that a better trade to go get Terry? Maybe. And Michael apparently was behind wanting Terry to come back. Rich Cho stuff, I think Michael had a big old influence. We know about his love of the college game. If you made an NCAA tournament run, he's probably going to go get it. <laughs> it helped with Kimba, but if he loved Bismack, that one didn't work out. And the draft process, it was really bad for the Hornets and the Bobcats for a very long time. But when Mitch Kupchak took over, here are your draft picks. P.J. Washington, or excuse me, starts with Miles, then it's P.J. You have LaMelo Ball, number three. The following year, you're talking about James Booknight and Kai Jones, the worst draft by far. You also have Mark Williams. And so you have some first-round picks that you actually hit on. So I do think after Mitch Kupchak took over, that started to change a little bit. But foundation was pretty damn poor from 2010 to 2017, 2018. Yeah, so, I mean, it's just a, a mixed bag as far as him leaving here now and how the fans feel. And it's going to be interesting to see how this new group goes about things. What type of uh, what, what type of style will they have with ownership? How much influence will Michael Jordan have in this new ownership group as far as input on what they should be doing? And I think that's the most uh, exciting thing about it. It could turn out to be not so exciting, but I definitely can't wait to see what approach will this group have. Will they be that group that's going to be all in and trying to get every single guy that they can or trying to go all in on every big ticket uh, guy that's out there making Charlotte a name that at least makes the rounds around the league that, hey, this is an aggressive franchise that's looking to add the best players possible um, no matter how they have to do it. We'll see what happens as we go forward. We'll continue to talk about this story as it comes through. Any updates we'll have for you as uh, we'll be on the air with you until 3 p.m. Until then, we have a Shrop it like it's hot to get to. What you got for a shrop? All righty. So the Chiefs have their Super Bowl ring, and it comes with 613 diamonds and 35 rubies, totaling 16.1 carats. It's uh, If you haven't seen the video of it that the Chiefs posted, go check it out. This thing is an absolute beauty. And uh, they kind of they break down what all the diamonds are on there for. Um Let's see, like the most important one here is they have 54 diamonds along the top representing the deficit in terms of total points the Chiefs had to overcome in their two most recent Super Bowl championship playoff run. All right, so we're actually going to dive a little bit more into that at the top of the 1 o'clock hour and discuss a little bit more of the Chiefs' rings and maybe the bling-bling we would like to have if we were to win some championships and what it all means. We'll get to the Campus Corner also coming up next, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only 
at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Here we go, folks. We are back. This is the Wesson Walker Show on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Hit us up on the text line, 704-570-9610. Hit up those socials. We're bringing you all the good stuff, all the behind the scenes on the Wesson Walker Twitter, WFNZ Twitter and Instagram, at Walker Mail on Twitter, at Shroppy WFNZ on Twitter, and at West Bryant underscore 72 on Twitter and Instagram. And now it is time to go to the campus. Kona. The Demon Deacons, it is about that time. Wake Forest will take on Stanford and the College World Series in Omaha on Saturday. The Deeks are a minus 265 favorite on the money line. I did we're a gambling show, but just to let you know that, Wake is a one-and-a-half run favorite, and the over-under on the game is 11-and-a-half. So, to give you a few facts on Wake Forest, this is their first national champion or their first uh, World Series appearance in quite some time. They've made three of those, highlighted by winning the program's first national championship in 1955. The Deeks have an 83.9 winning percentage. That is the best in the nation. They're 52 wins and 10 losses. Both lead the nation. And listen, they hit an NCAA tournament record tying nine home runs last Sunday over Alabama to pace their 22 runs, which was run one run shy of the NCAA Super Regional record. Also, Wake Forest is the second team to win four NCAA tournament games by 10-plus runs. The last team to do that was LSU in 1997. So this is a team on the warpath. They look like prohibitive favorites going into this deal. But, Walker, what do you expect to see from the Deeks as they go to Omaha? Will it just be more destruction, or are they going to encounter a little bit of adversity. Well, I hope that they're able to run through because this is not a recipe for success when you are the number one overall seed heading into the College World Series. It's kind of crazy, but this would be the number one team, the first, I should say, number one team to win the College World Series since 1999, if they're able to do so. So actually, in a weird way, it's not the greatest thing to be the best team entering in if you just talk about the odds. Now, it doesn't necessarily have a bearing on what Wake Forest is going to do in this tournament, but it's not the tell-all that, oh, okay, they're going to be dominant and they're just going to run through the co- uh, the competition. They have such great balance. They have so many different All-Americans that they have to be the favorite. Their dominance in previous games is what makes you think they are and they should be the favorite. I just hope that it all holds up because I'm pulling for them. I would love to see Wake Forest take it home yeah i mean this is a team many people feel like don't have a flaw their pitching staff leads the nation in hits per nine innings strikeouts strikeouts per nine innings and whip just to name a few categories and then offensively they lead the acc and walk second nationally slugging percentage on base percentage home runs scoring and runs and they are in the top 35 nationally in every other offensive category so it's going to take a big time meltdown for the deeks to take that L, but who knows? You guys talk about how baseball is unpredictable all the time. There are some great teams, including Florida, who many people 
uh, considered to be one of the better teams, if not the best team uh, in this tournament as well. So we shall see. Charlotte 49ers, big walk. They hire Aaron Fern as the interim head coach, so they keep the guy on staff from the Ron Sanchez era. I heard Mike Hill last night talking about how the players wanted this move more than anything. They wanted the continuity. They liked the style in which they play, and they wanted to keep it going. So what do you think about this move? I know a lot of people are pretty underwhelmed by this. I know some. I know a lot of 49er fans wanted a big-time name. What I think happened is that you didn't really expect Ron Sanchez to leave for Virginia, certainly at this point in the offseason. You thought you had your coaching staff set, and there's already been a ton of activity in the transfer portal. We're talking about Caleb Love, who had waited a long time before he went to Michigan, then entered the portal again, and then committed to Arizona before we actually saw Ron Sanchez leave Charlotte's program to go back to Virginia. So now we're having all of this transfer portal activity go on, and it's already been done. Now you're looking for a new coach this late into the process. And if Aaron Fern leaves, you might have other guys leave the basketball program. So I think what this is, is this is just a year where you're trying to hold steady. You don't want a lot of players to transfer out of this program because you would go and get a different guy. And then you'll see what happens next year. Maybe Fern is somebody that actually uh, outperforms expectations. If he doesn't, then you'll just conduct another search, except on a better timeline. That's what I think is probably happening with Charlotte 49ers basketball right now. But I do understand a lot of the fans and them being underwhelmed. Yeah, I was a bit underwhelmed by this move as well. We talked about some of the coaching candidates earlier in the week, and we thought that they would be able to bring in, even though a lot of candidates had already been already gone to other jobs but we felt that the pool was a nice pool and to see which direction Charlotte was going to go. All in all though, if this move does turn out to work, I feel like they, they are in a position like you said where they got stuck, the coach left, they were not sure what was going to happen and so they were like, alright, we're going to stick with the move this year, see where it gets us and then if not, offseason next year, you have the entire offseason to go pick your candidate and you will have a lot bigger pool to choose from. Uh, what did you think about the players having such a big say in him staying along as well? Do you think that they were a good source to help make this higher? Well, I, I think part of it, it, it just, it was the perfect time for the players to have power because it's not like Mike Hill or anyone conducting this search could go in a bunch of different areas. It, everybody had already been settled into their programs and with Ron Sanchez deciding to go to Virginia so late, the players might want somebody that they've become familiar with on the staff, such as Aaron Fern, where I believe his first year was 2018-2019. So if he goes, and then all of a sudden you have players start to transfer out and go to other basketball programs, you're taking a big risk saying, okay, well, whoever we hire, they're just going to bring in their transfers and we'll be all good again. Well, what if he doesn't? What if that coach does not bring in more players? And now, who do you throw out there on the court? So this is the reason I think why the, the, the timing was so right for the players to have this much power, where Mike Hill decided, you know what, we'll roll with Fern for one year. We're going to have a different style of play. It's a good thing that the players respect him. You could look at this as, oh, well, the players have too much power. Why are they getting to conduct 
the uh, and not, why are they willing or um, have the ability? Why do they have that in order to have this sure. guy come in and be the next head coach? But also, it's a good thing. Like you want your coach to have a good relationship with these players, and so ultimately, I think this was just the best situation in an unexpected time. And you know what? Unexpected is a great word for this because the intriguing part is going to be. You never know how situations like this can turn out. A lot of times it's the scenarios in which you didn't foresee the next great coach coming for your program, and then they just come out of nowhere. So I don't necessarily mind uh, them listening to the players. I think it bodes well for the program anytime the players can feel empowered. And so I think that for Mike Hill and the crew, I think this is something that could be a nice little feather in their recruiting hat as far as, hey, this is a program where they care about the players. They want to know what they think. And so for Charlotte, as we said, we just want them to get back where they once were. I think Fern is going to be a guy, hey, he's getting his chance. The players love him. So that definitely goes well for him. But as far as guys that are going to be on benches this coming season, if you could have a dream candidate for them to go and get, who would it be for you that they would hire in the next coaching cycle if it doesn't work out? Well, maybe you revisit some of the candidates that were a part of this initial process. And so one year can change a lot. Whether it be another candidate you were interested in, maybe they don't have a great year with their program, and all of a sudden you're not that interested anymore, and maybe Fern does outperform his expectations. We are talking about someone that was pretty involved in recruiting for them prior to, prior to his arrival in Charlotte. He did spend nine seasons as head coach and eight seasons as an assistant coach in the NBL. And when you're talking about his connections to some of the international basketball players, we can look to Ali Khalifa, one of the better players that has been with Charlotte the last couple of seasons. He had a big impact in recruiting him. And so maybe some of the recruits might see Fern here as the head coach. There is going to be a different style in, in play. It wasn't very entertaining under Ron Sanchez because you took that Tony Bennett style and applied it here to Charlotte. So we'll see if Fern brings something different to the table as well. Yeah, I heard him talking about uh, that the players wanted to go up-tempo and kind of get up and down uh, on the court and play that fast-paced style uh, that a lot of people like to have. But overall, do you feel like that this offseason and the moves that have happened, do you feel like this is a program that's going in the right direction, even though they've had to take a little bit of a, a setback with their coach leaving? I think we're stagnant right now. I think you're just kind of holding on and seeing what happens this this year, and then you'll come back, you'll revisit it at the end of next season. But I, I don't think I would say that they're going in a positive tra- uh, trajectory right now. Hopefully that changes, but I, I wouldn't look at what happened this offseason and say that. All right, well, when we return to hottest trending topics in sports, it's time to trend on the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.